Hello, my name is Reverend Dr. Michael Coplitz. I've been a pastor for 25 years. Currently, I am a biblical researcher and scholar. I also produce sermons for WICO 106.1 FM in York, Pennsylvania. You can find all my work online at M-I-C-H-A-E-L-K-O-P-L-I-T-Z dot I-N-F-O. This message is based on the Gospel of John chapter 17, the whole chapter. I pray that you are blessed by this message and may the Lord Jesus Christ be with us. What a strange title I picked for this sermon. My seminary teachers encouraged us not to worry about titles. Why? Because people read the title and decide about what the message is all about before they hear it. So let me ask you to think about this question for a moment. What preconceived thoughts do you have because of my title? What's in it for me is a phrase that I heard repeatedly in my 25 years of pastoring. Let's start with the meaning of Jesus' prayer in 90 CE that we find here in chapter 17 of John. The movement had 60 years under its belt. Around 90 CE is when Emperor Hadrian started the hardest and most difficult persecutions of all religions that were not the state religion, except Judaism. So the proto-Orthodox church came under a lot of pressure. There were also other expressions of Christianity around the empire that day, and they suffered too. It was the proto-Orthodox church that survived the persecutions and became the church we know today. Well, there was more unity back then. The facade of unity existed back then too because things weren't all that wonderful then either. Because of being persecuted and lacking time and energy, Christians did not argue over doctrine and definitions very much. In the second century CE, when the persecutions lightened up, different interpretations of Jesus' words started to emerge. That's when disunity really got started. After Constantine declared Christianity the official religion of the empire in 325 CE, disagreements about doctrine and definitions arose. Now, Constantine solved the problem by declaring himself the head of the church, that is the Catholic Orthodox Church, and he forced unity. Well, that worked really well until he died. With the acceptance of Christianity as the religion of the Roman Empire, there was time and energy to spend on doctrines and definitions. The Gospels nor Paul's letters defined everything that the church needed to grow and survive. Theologians over time helped shape and change doctrines. The understanding of the works of Jesus Christ changed throughout the century. Around 450 CE is when the Dark Ages occurred. The Roman Empire had fallen and the arguments in the church over doctrine, moved slowly. Pelagius in the seventh century or so came up with the church doctrine about a person's ability to receive salvation. 
he believed that it was a person's responsibility to receive salvation. He believed that it was our responsibility to obtain salvation by good works. What happened to Jesus' role in this idea? Well, certainly one had to follow Jesus' ways and accept him as Lord. It was good works that were to be done. This caused a lot of uproar in the church hierarchy who believed Jesus offered salvation and a person had no hand in it. However, they did need to do good works anyway, but they weren't connected, which makes it very hard to explain. Some splintering occurred, and today we have several ideas about good works, which, by the way, the church calls works righteousness, if you're going to look it up. When the Dark Ages ended, around 1,000 or so CE, different doctrines and definitions emerged. However... The idea of unity within the Christian community was still in play. Salvation came to the congregation of the church, but the idea of individual salvation was not the order of the day. Everyone in the Christian community worked together to obtain salvation for the entire community. That's the way it was in Jesus' day. When did it change to what's in it for me? Well, that occurred when the modern period began. 1500 CE is considered the beginning of the modern period of history. The idea of individualism took over. See, between 1000 and 1500 CE was the rise of nations. These groups of people would then go to war against each other. A lot of death, a lot of destruction. To stop this, the philosophers came up with this idea of individualism. That meant a person lived for themselves. Well, it didn't stop kings and rulers from getting their subjects to fight wars for them. The idea was that individualism would stop wars because people would say no to the rulers. It was a great idea. It just didn't work. So after 1500 CE, salvation became an individualistic idea. The Bible text may be read that way, but the authors referred to the entire community, even when the verse talked about individuals, as people understood when it was written. That was the custom of the day. Well, after 1500 CE, the idea of individualized salvation took over. It would appear from Jesus' prayer that individualism was important. The beauty of the Bible is that it's a living document that does not change and fits every period of time. So the question people asked was, what's in it for me? What does a person receive when they come to know Jesus as a Messiah or as a part of God? After all, people today expected something for their time on Sunday morning, today. Now, I should note here that individualism is now being replaced by communities again. In 2000 CE, it's marked at the beginning of the postmodern era. Virtual communities are now the rage. I know a person who has over 2,000 friends on Facebook. That is her community. Now, maintaining social connections 
with 2,000 people is not possible. Robin Dunbar in the mid-19th century showed that humans could handle around 150 social connections at one time. So the 2,000 friends are not social connections, they are a virtual community. That being said, we have to remember that virtual communities are what our youth are being taught. Most of us are not postmodern thinkers and are looking for answers to the question, what's in it for me? Jesus' prayer does give you that answer. Eternal life is offered by the Lord to all who come in faith to God and Jesus. There it is. Simple, right? No, it's difficult. Some churches and preachers like Rob Bell in Michigan love to say that eternal life is easy to obtain. He preaches there's no hell. Everybody go to heaven. His church has a huge following because people like the answer to the question, what's in it for me? Bell says, love God and love neighbor and love Jesus and you're in. But he doesn't elaborate heavily about what exactly that means. Or better question is, so how do you do it? Let me tell you that the Bible says about eternal life. First, you want it. Let me add one more really important thing. If you want it, you have to get sanctified. It's necessary to get into heaven. To get sanctification, you need to follow the laws of the Bible as Jesus showed us for us to get eternal life with God. Out of all the prophets and the kings, there's one person who teaches us how to please God, which is what we need for eternal life, and that person is Jesus Christ. You cannot go wrong following the ways of Jesus. 20 years ago, there was a thing called the WWJD movement. WWJD was short for what would Jesus do? What a significant question to ask yourself before you do anything. What would Jesus do? If you ask this question, you're doing something that pleases the Lord, especially if the answer is yes. Everything that Jesus did in his lifetime was for us. He wanted to teach us how to live so that in time we would join him in the kingdom of heaven. So I lay that task before you. Follow the ways of Jesus Christ and an afterlife in heaven is yours. It really is that simple. Jesus asked the Lord to help us. That help is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is always with you. Therefore, you need to call upon the Spirit in all your decisions, all your actions, all your speech. You cannot go wrong when you are being directed by the Holy Spirit. As you go out into the world, remember to call upon the Holy Spirit for guidance in all your decisions, actions, and speech. Then do it. God bless you for listening to this message. I hope it's blessed and touched you in some way, shape, or form. And as always, shalom.